0: Well, good morning, Sunrise. My name is Pastor Greg. I, I get to be a part of the preaching team here. I'm the pastor of discipleship here at Sunrise. And uh, just as a blessing to be able to share with you guys today. Uh, ben, uh, bien, well, sorry, Buenos dias y bienvenido a la Iglesia Sunrise. Mi amo Pastor Greg. Estamos muy agradecidos de que esté aquí. Hey, notas additional in el projector. Lo siento, ciego uh, aprendido español. <laughs> All right, well. Uh. Gracias, Duolingo, eh? Um. Well, uh, I'm excited to be able to share with you today, and I want to dismiss our kids to children of worship as well as they get to hear God in their kind of terminology and in their lingo as well. Um, And we look forward to how God's going to use our teachers and our amazing helpers there to share God's blessing with them as well. So that's ages three-year-olds to fifth grade, and if you're new here, feel free to go with them. And also, um, God has blessed us with a lot of babies and I just want to remind all the moms uh, that there is a, a room, that's a quiet, quieter room, a darker room if you need to just feed your baby or just want to help them quiet down, that that room's available to you guys there. Um, and it is being live streamed there still, so you don't miss out on anything. So just all the tools for you. Well, we will be in Ecclesiastes chapter three, and uh, Pastor Russ got us started uh, last week with chapters one and two, and uh, Ecclesiastes is one of the books of wisdom in the Old Testament. Uh, that's uh, the books of wisdom in the Old Testament would be Ecclesiastes, Proverbs and the Book of Job. Um, Ecclesiastes is a very interesting book in the sense that it's a it's somewhat of a downer. Um, it's kind of like one of those like ugh, kind of books. Um, and, you know, I always think of it this way, if uh, Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh was going to write a book of the Bible, it would be Ecclesiastes. Uh, because it just asks a lot of questions like, what is the point of all of this? Why are we doing this? Is there any value to this? It's all going to go away anyways, right? And, and uh, it can sometimes feel like, why are we reading this? Why are we preaching on this? But yet, it's a book of wisdom. And so what does that mean? How is this a book of wisdom? How is this supposed to help us to think different, to grow and be uh, more like Jesus in God? How do we do that? Why is it kind of highlighted in that way? Well, I think the book of Ecclesiastes, a lot of ways you're going to see through the entire book, is holding up all the things that the world has to offer and says, is it worth it? Is this good enough? And so we're going to see that. Uh, but in particularly, in chapter three, uh, there's two main themes that you're going to see come through chapter three, and that is the fact that uh, time keeps moving forward and death is coming for us all. So really joyous things that we're going to be talking about this morning, right? I know, try to hold down your excitement. Um, but yeah, those two favorite topics of all people, that we're all getting older and that we're all going to die at some point. So uh, yeah, this is going to be great. Um, So as uh, Jonathan uh, talked about earlier, the first uh, eight verses of Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 3 is actually a poem. It's a poem about time, and it's a poem about how things continue to move forward, and then there's seasons of life. And just to run through them, um, it says there's a time to be born and to die, to plant, to uproot, to kill, to heal, to tear down, to build, uh, weep, laugh, mourn, dance, uh, scatter, gather, embrace, and don't embrace, which I find funny. It's like embrace, and then there wasn't a better word for like get away from me, so don't embrace. Uh, search, give up, uh, keep, throw away, tear, mend, be silent to speak, love, hate, war, and peace. And what the author is saying is there's a time for all of these things in our lives, that these things, these cycles of uh the world of our existence keep moving forward, and then each one has its own season. And then after saying this, after citing this poem, uh, we're going to read now Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 9 through 14. And so this is what the word of the Lord says for us. It says, what do workers gain from their toil? I have seen, I, or I have seen the burden God had laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also said eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know, what there, I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in their toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it, and nothing can be taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him. So verses 9 and 10 there, the author is really highlighting this theme of Ecclesiastes. What's the point? You know, things are just going to keep moving forward. You you try to make meaning out of these things, you know, the good times, the bad times, uh, peaceful times, times when we're at war, all these things, either that's nationally or personally. What is the point of all this? What do we get from all of these toils? And as humans, we don't get much. It doesn't matter if you live a successful life and you build it all up and you Obtain all this wealth, this beautiful home, all this stuff. You get all of those things or you get none of them. He's saying at some point, we all end up in the same spot. Time keeps moving forward. And yet he does highlight there are beautiful moments. And they can be celebrated as beautiful moments. But even those beautiful moments are fleeting. They don't last forever. Almost like a sunrise or a sunset in your day. You can look and you can admire it. But the day moves on. The rest of the day comes if it was sunrise or the night comes if it was sunset. Time keeps pushing forward. And so those beautiful things can be celebrated and highlighted in their appropriate times, but things keep moving forward. They're they're not eternal things. They're momentary things. But then he says something super interesting in, in verse 11 here. He says in the second half of verse 11, it says, He, God has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. He has set eternity in the human heart. What does that mean? I think this is that drive, and we see this in all of human uh, uh, every human being on earth, every human that's ever lived has this desire, this feeling, this call in their heart that says there has to be more than just this. There has to be more to exist, just surviving, than just this food, than just this, uh, this job that I'm doing, than just this things, that, everything that I see around me. There has to be more. This is not just strictly a Christian thing. This is actually a human thing, and we see this in all different societies. We see this in all different ways, in fact. Some people think that they can find value and find meaning in all kinds of different things, whether that's success in their business or having a certain amount of dollars in their savings account, or this could be success in their uh, their a certain hobby, a talent, a, a uh, instrument, or maybe this is, uh, I, once I get to this level of academia, or maybe if I uh, can just firm up this relationship, if I could just get someone to love me, uh, and, and my life would have value, then things would be good. If I could just find my direction, oh, life would be great. And we think that those things, those, those earthly things, will give us eternal value, but then when we attain them, they don't. They leave us unfulfilled still. They still have that hunger inside of us for something more. And we can sit, again, I said, we can see this in all different societies. In ancient societies, we see this as they built the pyramids. They looked to the stars to find their meaning, to find eternal value in those things. They build temples. They build all these things trying to find out what will give them eternal value, something that means something. It's that same wonder that we have today. As scientists continue to search out into the galaxy and try to make meaning out of how we all got here. It's that wonder, that awe that God has placed in us. And that hunger is a good thing. That hunger is a good thing that it's inside of us because it should cause us to then search for God. To search out, God, where are you in all of this? We all were made with a connection to God for a connection for God. We were meant to be able to walk alongside, to have conversations with the eternal God. And so the fact that if you don't have that in your life, you're going to feel like something's missing. And that is a holy and good thing. So instead of just being okay with just this momentary stuff, God, the author here says, we all have the des- that desire for something eternal, to be connected to our lives. Maybe we can't understand it fully, what God has done from the beginning to the end, but we know that there's something that's supposed to be a part of us, connected to that God who is eternal. Verses 12 through 14 say, I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift from God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it or nothing can be taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him. He's right. Without God, there's not much that we can do with our lives that has everlasting value. There's not much that we can do at all that will last beyond our generation or maybe our kid's generation. And so maybe the best thing for us as human beings is just to eat good food, get good drink, enjoy good company, and find satisfaction in the work that we have to do. In our human nature, really, that's the best that we can hope for. We should find satisfaction in those things. In our human nature, this is what we can accomplish, but yet there's this other thing that he says in verse 14 that that God can do something eternal. He can do something that is everlasting, and we can't add anything to it, but we can't take anything away from it either, and yet he says, God does this so that we can have the fear of God. God does this so that his people, that people will have the fear of him. Now, when we hear that term, that fear of God, we need to understand that from an Old Testament perspective. Uh, In fact, from an Old Testament wisdom literature perspective. Um, the fear of God gets spoken about a lot in the, the books of wisdom. Uh, Proverbs, uh, a lot of times, we'll talk about different uh, points having the fear of God. In fact, Proverbs nine ten says, "The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and that knowledge of the ho- Holy One is understanding." Proverbs ten twenty seven says, "The fear of the Lord prolongs days, but the years of the wicked shall be shortened." When we hear that term, fear of God, we need to not think of someone who's cowering in fear, someone that is afraid of God necessarily, but we should hear it in the sense of respect, reverence, of understanding that God is the essence of power, that he is God Almighty, and we are not. We are finite. We are momentary, and he is eternal. We're on two different fields here. We're limited by time. God is limited by nothing. And so, what he's saying is, understand who you're talking to, understanding who you're addressing, understanding who God truly is. Uh, A lot of times, this can get actually lost, I feel like, in uh, Protestant uh, circles where we get so focused on best friend Jesus. Oh, he's my buddy. And he does. Jesus does. He calls us friend. But we need to understand that in light of his authority. He is also God Almighty. He is also the Alpha and the Omega. He is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Creator of all. And yet, that God, that mega God, that eternal God, that big God cares about you. He knows your name, He cares about what's going on in your day. That is crazy. I mean, how many times have you gone to a voting booth and you've checked a box to give someone minimal power, whether that's be a mayor of the city or, or uh, to elect them to Congress or president or wherever, and you're giving them some power, and yet they don't know your name. They don't know who you are, right? Or if maybe they do know your name in some kind of context, they don't know truly who you are. But yet God, the ultimate power, cares For you, it personally knows you, your family, what you care about, what you worry about. He knows you in that way. And so when you see it from that perspective that God is God, and we are just mere mortals, we are just mere human beings, we should fear, we should have reverence, we should honor that, but we should also be so blown away that that powerful God knows you so intimately and loves you so much. That is crazy. Ecclesiastes continues from verses 15 and 17 speaking about the seasons of life again. But then in verse 17, it it talks about something different. It says, God will bring into judgment both the righteous and the wicked. For there will be times for every activity, a time to judge every deed. He says, you know, I've seen on earth there's all kinds of wickedness that happens. And sometimes the wicked get away with things and sometimes they get judged. But he says at the end there... God will judge it all. Every action that'll happen will be judged one day. Everyone will have to take account of their life at some point and present it in front of God Almighty. Now, for us Christians, this is a day that we celebrate. This is a day that we actually look forward to, but not because we're perfect, not because we got life figured out, not because we're checking every box correctly and we're just like, man, we're killing it at life. Yeah, come at me, God. Judge me. I'm great. That's not the perspective of a Christian. The perspective of a Christian is, God, I am so messed up, but you, Jesus, you have lived that perfect life. You came down from heaven. You lived the perfect life. You exchanged your perfect life on the cross for my sins, died for my sins, rose three days later, made the bridge for me to now be connected to you, eternal God, to live now for you, and now I live for you. And I know that when that day of judgment comes, when I stand before you, it'll not be me that you see. It's not my righteousness, but it is Jesus's righteousness that you will see in that moment, God. You will see your work done there in front of you. And so we talk about the judgment day. That is what we look forward to. Not that we can be prideful in any kind of sort and say, look at me, God. It's just of being able to be mirror to reflect God back to himself and say, look what you did in my life, God. You are the one who did all these things in my life. So we look forward to that day of judgment, and he says that, that day of judgment is coming for us all. So who will he see when you stand before him? It's not made to be fearful. We're not supposed to make rash decisions so we don't make it to hell. It's just simply who will stand in front of him. Will he see you or will he see his son's righteousness and the Holy Spirit alive in you? It's just a question. Verse 18 through 22 says this. I have also said to myself, as for humans, God tests them so that they may see that they are like the animals. Surely the fate of human beings is like that of all the animals. The same fate awaits them both. As one dies, so uh, dies the other. All have the same breath. Humans have no advantage over animals. Everything is meaningless. All go to the same place. All come from dust, and to dust all return. Who knows if the human spirit rises upward, and if the spirit of animals down to the earth. So I saw that there is nothing better for a person than to enjoy their work because, of that, because that is their lot. For who can bring them to see what will happen after them? So in short, everything, everyone dies. Ecclesiastes is just bringing the joy this morning, right? Let me tell you why I love this book, though. Because Ecclesiastes is really just holding up what the world has to offer us in life. And he's asking you, is this good enough? Is this what you want your life to be about? Is this what you want your whole existence to be about? Is just these things that are here today and gone tomorrow. In a sense, I think of uh, Ecclesiastes as why this is a book, a wisdom book of the Old Testament, is it's not necessarily pointing us to Jesus. It's more so cultivating the desire, the hunger for a Savior. It's poking you and saying, what are you living for? What's the point of all this? Where are you placing your time? Where are you placing your value? What, What are you doing with your life? Ecclesiastes, in some sense, is almost like a uh, philosophy class where it's asking you to justify your life a bit. If you've been a bit in a philosophy class, one, it sounds impressive a lot of times when you're in there, but then like, you realize we haven't said a thing. Um, But philosophy, a lot of times, asks you to justify your actions. How do you base good? When you say you want to live a good life, what does good even mean? And so it's asking you to evaluate yourself, to to understand where some of these principles come from. And, And I think Ecclesiastes, in that same way, is doing the exact same thing. It's asking us, what are you living for? It's asking you, where are you going in your life? How do you define what is good? How do you know if your life is doing what you hoped it would do? how do you base those things? Like I said, it doesn't necessarily point to Jesus, but it creates a hunger for a Savior in our lives. But yet it asks two questions at the end that I think do point to a Savior. In verse 21 and 22, it says, who knows if the human spirit rises upward and if the spirit of animals go down into the earth?" So I saw that there is nothing better for a person than to enjoy their work because that is their lot. For who can bring them to see what will happen after them? Who knows what happens to human beings, what happens to the spirits, and who knows what can last beyond them? Well, the author actually pointed out at it in verse 14 where he says only God can do anything that will last forever. So he's referencing that God is the only one who can do anything that is eternal, that will go on beyond us, but who can take us to a place where we can know what's happening in the future? Well, God is not limited by time. He knows what will happen in the future. He's the one ordaining how things will happen, pushing them one, one direction or the next. So God knows exactly where our spirits will go, and he knows what we will do, in fact, He's not limited in the same sense that we are. And so yet we are not left wondering, well, what is God going to do? What does he tell us to do? In fact, Jesus came down from heaven, from an eternal place to our limited place on earth and got involved in our lives and involved in our uh, limitations and started to then share all about the kingdom of God. In fact, uh, Jesus, in a lot of ways, was doing the same work of Ecclesiastes, where he kept walking around and talking to people and asking them questions and asking them to think about their life. And the whole time that he was walking on earth, he was pointing to the kingdom of God, to eternal things, and telling them to live for those things. And so now I want to invite you to turn to a moment with Jesus. It's in John chapter 6, and we're going to be reading from 26 to 40. And I want to give you a little context of what's happening here. This is uh, Jesus is out doing ministry, and basically he has this massive following right now. He has a megachurch following him, uh, about 5,000 men strong, still with women and children. So this is a very big crowd following him. And so he goes and he, he feeds them all, and he does this miracle in front of them. And then at, the, the, at nighttime, as everyone settles down, he and his disciples leave. They take off across the way to go minister to another place. He wasn't going to just settle in one spot and build up a, a, a home there. He was there to share the gospel all around. And so he leaves. And then after that, the crowd wakes up and notices, hey, Jesus isn't here. And so they take off to go find him. And so they go to him. They say, Jesus, why would you leave us? And this is his answer. Jesus answered in verse 26. It says, very truly I tell you. You are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Interesting that Jesus flat out says, hey, don't just live for food. Don't settle for just these things that are here on our, our earth. Don't, don't just live for this moment. Search for eternal food. Search for something greater than that. Jesus again kind of pokes that true hunger that God has placed in every human and says in our hearts and our minds, there's more. There's eternal hunger there for you. Search for that. So he continues. Then they asked, the crowd asked, what must, we do, uh, what must we do to do the work God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what signs then will you give that we may see and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate uh, the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them the bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my father who has given you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. For as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who has sent me. And this is the will of him who has sent me. That I shall lose none of all those he has given me. He has raised them up, or he, he raises them up on the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. These people were chasing after Jesus, but not because they saw him as their Messiah or their Savior, but honestly because they wanted dinner and a show. They had eaten from the loaves. They were excited about that moment. They were all cheering for him. And so they go to Jesus and they say, Jesus, I thought we had a good thing going here. I mean, we give you praise. We give you numbers. And, and you give us food. And you talk about things. And we applaud. And it's a good thing that we got going here. You feed us. We hang out. It's a big, we make you a big deal. And yet he is not tempted at all by them. He says, no, you guys don't want me for me. You just want more food. And in fact, you have now special ordered food. You weren't just happy with the food I gave you. Now you're like, you know, I heard about this manna, Jesus. Are you familiar with that? Could you bring that down? That sounds pretty good. Let's get some of that manna going here. And they're trying to special order their meal now, which shows that their hearts are just so not hungry truly for Jesus. Jesus instead challenges them and says, I am the bread of life. I am really what you should be hungry for, and yet you're getting distracted, and you need to stop being hungry just for what's here on this earth and start getting hungry for what God has for you. You In a lot of ways, Jesus agrees with Ecclesiastes that life is temporary, so don't get so stuck and sucked into what is right here in front of us. Start to have eternity in your mindset. Start to get a taste for eternity, to live for those things that God has for us. That is what he's saying. Get hungry for those things. Which both Ecclesiastes and Jesus points out are things from God only. See, Ecclesiastes say, as human beings, all we can hope for is to eat, drink, and be merry. Jesus' answer here is now to say, no. No. There's something else out there for you. I am there for you to give you the true bread of life. You will not hunger anymore for this wonder, for this nameless thing, but you will actually start to be satisfied by God for what your value is, for what your destiny is, for what, where you're going in life. Verse 40 says, For my Father's will is that everyone who looks To the Son, will believe in Him and shall have eternal life, and will raise them up on the last day. Ecclesiastes' question, Ecclesiastes' question at the end of chapter three was where does the spirit go and what's the future? Jesus' answer is, They're coming with me. And I have your future in my hand. What a beautiful and wonderful thing that we can believe in. What is the purpose of life? What are we, what are we supposed to do with our life? Live and follow Jesus. That's our whole life. As Christians, we we should base everything on those things, on those value systems, that what is going to bring eternal value to these temporary things? Because that's what God does. He brings eternal value to our temporary lives. And so we can start to change the way that we live out our lives, to not be so focused on just the here and now, but say, God, how can you bring redemption to this? And it's part of my life. I can enjoy it, and it is beautiful, the same way that we can enjoy creation. It's beautiful. But how can we now start to praise God through those moments and see the eternal principles, the kingdom throughout our lives? See, the, the crowd that was following Jesus, they couldn't see it. They were so focused on the here and now, they end up starting to argue back and forth with one another. And so then the crowd disperses. The megachurch splits, in a sense. So many people start to leave at that point that it gets to the point that Jesus turns to his disciples and he asks them this question in verse 30, or 67. It says, you do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the 12. Simon Peter answered him, I imagine after a long pause, after seeing the crowds, the success, the fame, all start to run away from him. And this is what Jesus says. He says, Lord, whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe to know that you are the Holy One of God. Where else can we go? He says, I don't care how many people believe. I don't care how many people, how big this thing gets or if it never goes anywhere. I know for one thing, Peter says, you have eternity in your life. He's sitting there and he's watching the way that he lives, his words, his actions, everything that Jesus is doing. And he says, you're the only thing that satisfies this eternal hunger that I have in me. And so where else could I go? It is you alone who has that for me. Peter, what he's starting to recognize is all the limitations that he's ever seen in his life as a human being, that Jesus is surpassing all of those things. So for us today... I want to ask you this question. Have you also been feeling this hunger inside of you? This desire for something more in your life. This desire to have something that would last. Not just that everything would just be grueling and getting through the day and just trying to survive. But you wanted to get something that would actually help you to to move beyond that. to, To live for something Well, the offer that we have is to follow Jesus. Jesus says that the way that we can attain something like that is by putting our faith in the one that God has sent. To believe in Jesus with our whole lives. You want to have eternal value, then we have to believe that Jesus is the second member of the Holy Trinity. That he came down from heaven, lived a perfect life, and died on the cross for us. Now he has made the way for us to live a new life in him because he rose three days later and lives now in heaven, seated in the right hand of God the Father. And he is constantly praying on your behalf, praying for you, interceding on you, saying, "Ah, I I want something better for them. Let's get them connected to this. He cares for you. So if you want to have that, if you've never had that before, I want to pray with you here in a bit that you can, you can have a new life thanks to Jesus by saying, God, I, I want to follow you with my whole life. Forgive me of my sins. Help me to live a new life with you. But I also have a challenge for those of us who have been Christians for a bit. My question is this for us, and this is for myself too, is what how can you start to bring eternal significance to your everyday life? How can you start to bring eternal significance, eternal value to your everyday life? You know, each day, each morning, each hour is a blessing. We all know that things can change so radically, so quickly. Some of us have walked through some very scary moments with other people. We have lost people that were, uh, we thought had many more years than we, we could ever predict. We don't know how long we have. So how can we use each and every day to have eternal value in that? How can we bring that kind of significance to our workplaces, to our classrooms, to our friendships, to our families? How can we start to help God be at the center of all those places? Because there's not a moment that God's like, no, you're on your own on this one. He walks with us in every moment. And so maybe it's just by adding prayer to all those moments. Before you step into your classroom, if you're a teacher, you pray. You're probably doing that already, let's be honest, right? But you pray for your students, not just for you to endure, but you pray for each of your students. Maybe you walk through the desks. Maybe if you are at a business, you pray before you work, or maybe you make sure that you're getting that Bible time and you're adding that value into your heart and into your mind. Maybe you're reaching out to someone who you just kind of have friction with sometimes, and you say, I'm going to choose to love this person. What's that place that the Holy Spirit right now is starting to put in your heart and your mind? How are you supposed to step into that to bring eternal value to your everyday life? That is my question and my challenge for us today. So, will you guys pray for me? Or pray? You can do both, actually. You pray with me, and then you can pray for me. Always appreciate that. So, but let's pray. God, we thank you so much. That you don't just leave us to the side. God, even though really our lives are but a blip in the universe, and yet you are involved our whole time, there's not a second that goes by that you're not present and around us and working in us. God, I pray that you would help us to start to be more aware of your presence in our life. And, and thank you so much for his Ecclesiastes that really holds up our lives and asks, what are you living for? What's good? God, I pray anyone here today that is not walking with you currently, God, that they might call out to you and say, God, forgive me of my sins. Help me to live a new life in you. Help transform me from the inside out that I can live today differently than yesterday, that that my sins and my past does not define me, but I can live new in you. Transform me from the inside out. Forgive me of my sins. Help me live anew in you, Jesus. God, I pray anyone who's praying that right now in their own words, in their own way, that they would come and find the elders and find people around them to get connected to Sunrise, not because we're a perfect church, but because we're all people just trying to follow you. And God, I pray that as we continue to think about this question of how we can allow you to, to into more of our life and to, to bring eternal value to our mundane lives, God, that we would step up into those challenges, to so not back away, not to, not to try to hang on to these other things, these worldly things, these momentary things, but we can truly hand them over to you and live a new life in you, God. To your name we pray, Jesus. Amen it's also-